terms can be trademarks, and not all trademarks are created equal. So welcome to episode five of the Exclusive Rights Podcast. My name is Lily Zhang. I am a partner in the San Diego office. My practice specializes in patent prep and prosecution, but we're here today to talk about a very different type of intellectual property trademarks. And for that, I have with me Karen Wong. She is a partner in Trademark Guru from our New York office. Welcome, Karen. Thanks for having me, Lily. Thank you for joining me today. So what we wanted to talk about today is actually a very important topic in the in the area of trademarks, and that's distinctive name versus descriptive names. So Karen, on that note, I'm going to turn the table over to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Lily. So one of the questions that I get all the time, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you've just formed a company, or you already have a company and you're launching a product, you know, one of the first things that you have to decide is, okay, now I need to name my company or product or service offering. Do I go with something that's descriptive or do I come up with a creative distinctive name? And there are various considerations around it. With descriptive names, you know, the appeal of it is understandable and very um, obvious. You immediately educate your consumers on what you do. So, for example, if you've come up with a new email technology and you name your company or product offering QuickSend, it immediately tells the consumer that, hey, My technology is all about speed. It's all about sending things quickly, email, file share, whatever. And that's attractive because I don't have to spend extra dollars educating the consumers on what I do or advertising campaign or or whatnot. And frankly, it is very easy for me to think up. So that's an example of descriptive name. Yes. Okay. So on the flip side, then, what are some of the cons associated with the descriptive name? Well, so for one thing, if you have a name like QuickSend, it's not very memorable because those are just terms that are widely used in the relevant field of that particular technology. So you might have quick email or quick files or email quick or with various minor spelling variations with Q-U-I-C-K or K-W-I-K or, for example, that's the reason why I can never remember whether that office supply store that's by my office is an office max or an office depot because they just sound similar and they are descriptive names. When you are in this kind of a field with a mixture of names that are existing terms that are popularly used and have descriptive meanings in the field, you kind of get lost in what legally we call crowded field. You're one of 20 names that use similar terms. So are we are we thinking about like social media or search engine, a more generic or more descriptive name? It doesn't really help you really kind of rise to the top of your search results, for instance? Yes, absolutely. So if you come up with a distinctive name and you literally meaning it's a word or term that did not exist in the English language until you came up with it, when someone puts it into a search engine, 
your company or your website is going to likely be at the top of the search results because there's just no other company using that identical or similar name. But when you have terms like quick and send or email or file or, or speedy or, you know, then you might get buried. You mentioned an interesting point earlier, and I want to revisit it, which is the clever variation on, on, on sort of common words, right? I mean, I think of like Friendster, for instance, or gosh, there are so many examples, but can you talk a little bit about, and I see, I, I see this a lot with a lot of Silicon Valley startups where they do kind of, you know, they either make up a, a completely fanciful name or sometimes they, they, they play on existing words, right? So what are some of the strategy behind doing that for a company? Okay, so that's a great segue into kind of the big picture understanding you should have um, for anybody who's looking to name anything. And that is from a legal standpoint, there is something called the trademark spectrum. Basically, it I mean, you don't have to memorize the whole thing, but what you need to keep in mind is that not all terms can be trademarks and not all trademarks are created equal. Every single potential name you can think of in the entire universe is categorized into one of five categories. And they're on a spectrum from strong, really fanciful, solid, broad trademark rights, all the way down to weaker rights to terms that can never function as a trademark. So at the very top of the spectrum, we have what are called fanciful marks. These are terms that are completely made up. You created it, you coined it, so you own it. These are inherently distinctive, have very broad, strong rights. So Verizon and Exxon and you know other names that you've completely made up. One step down, is the category of arbitrary names. Arbitrary names are words that exist in the English language, but have no relation to the underlying use that you're actually using it for. So a great example is Apple for electronics and computers. So those are also strong, broad trademarks. Then you have the category of suggestive marks. These are brands that don't overtly describe, but rather allude or imply or connote something about your underlying offering. So copper tone is a good example for suntan oil. You know, it alludes to the kind of bronze skin, copper skin that you can have by lying in the sun and using this this oil. Now, there is a very important division between suggestive marks and the category beneath it on the spectrum, which are the descriptive marks we've been talking about, because that divide is right where the line of protectability and unprotectability for trademarks fall. So anything that's suggestive, arbitrary, fanciful, you can have exclusive rights on, you can protect as a trademark, but Anything that's below, starting with descriptive marks, like we've been saying, you cannot have exclusive rights, at least not at the outset. So descriptive marks, like we've been saying, immediately convey information about your underlying offering. Toys R Us is another good example when they started out as a toy store. Like, hey, look, look at us. We are a chain of stores that sell toys. 
so during the first five years of its existence, if a tot R us came in across the street with completely different visual rendering, but their name was Tots R Us, or they had the domain Tots R Us and sold toddler toys, they would have had a hard time actually stopping them because they didn't have, Toys R Us wouldn't have had exclusive rights. And then at the very bottom of the spectrum, which is actually not even counting as trademarks, are just generic terms. These are literally vocabulary terms that mean what the underlying offering is. So like flower shop for flower shop. And depending on what category your brand name falls in, it will have a different scope of strength of the trademark rights and ability to get exclusive rights, ability to stop other people from using your mark or confusingly similar mark, et cetera. If you have descriptive marks from a legal standpoint, let's say hotels.com is a good example. When hotels.com Day one, first launched, and it's a website where you can book various hotels. That is a descriptive name from a legal standpoint because it immediately conveys information about your underlying offering, like what the purpose of it is. So when you have descriptive terms like that, Trademark law says, okay, well, you can't lock up those terms in an exclusive monopoly to just one party because other people in that field doing similar things have to be able to use those terms descriptively to describe what they do, even if they have nothing to do with you. So can you have another Hotels.com? Is that what that means legally? Yes, that means that until Hotels.com did enough advertising and brand awareness campaigns and actually had substantial commercial activity so that when people heard Hotels.com, they thought specifically of that company with Captain Obvious rather <laughs> I was than... I going to say Captain Obvious. <laughs> rather than, oh, just any old website where you can go and book hotel services, you have to acquire that distinctiveness, meaning consumers have to recognize it as a brand. It has to have a brand reputation in order for it to actually start to function as a trademark. Until then, besthotels.com, lastminutehotels.com, you know, luxuryhotels.com, like all of those could have come alongside, operated, competed for business with hotels.com customers, and they would not have been able to stop those competitors, not on a trademark basis. And that's because of the inherent descriptive nature of the name that they picked. It does seem like that's a very big thing to consider, especially for a smaller company where they're just coming into the business and there may or may not be sort of the budget, right? The advertising budget, as you mentioned, to to really establish a, a more descriptive name and to acquire those rights, right? To, to have your sort of trademark or have your branding mature into a valid trademark, if it's a descriptive name. That's absolutely right, Lily. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword in some ways, having a descriptive name. Yes, absolutely. I mean, by contrast, if you had coined your company name with something that you came up with, literally the name did not exist until you whimsically came up with it. Haagen-Dazs, I hear. I've heard of that story about Haagen-Dazs, <laughs> that it was sort of a, it was a figment of someone's imagination. Yes, 
Verizon, Gillette, Exxon, all of those are names that literally came into creation by somebody thinking it up. And when that's the case, literally nobody else has any reason to be using that name, right? So you have distinctiveness and broad exclusive rights to that name from day one. So let's talk a little bit about, we mentioned, so for a descriptive name, in order to establish it as to garner your exclusive rights, you have to kind of establish it through advertising campaign to kind of, you know, push it out into the public conscience, right, to associate your products, your offerings with that particular branding. From a legal perspective, right, when you go register your trademark, for instance, or even from an enforcement perspective, how are descriptive names in versus, say, fanciful or distinctive thing, how is it treated differently at the, at the patent office, at the trademark office, for instance? With a descriptive name, like I said, from day one, you won't even really have enforceable rights. The Rule of thumb generally is that you need five years of continuous and substantially exclusive use before it could be said that, okay, now consumers are sufficiently familiar with your brand in the marketplace such that they hear Hotels.com and they're going to think your actual company or product offering rather than any old hotel booking website. So there's that use piece. Got it. Now, so let's say if, if a client comes to you and despite the cons that we just described, they would really like to adopt a descriptive trademark. What are some best practices? What's some advice that you could give them in order to sort of assure that they will eventually one day get their exclusive rights in that descriptive name? The advice I always give is Always try to what I call inch upwards on the trademark spectrum. So the category that's just above the descriptive marks is a category called suggestive marks. And I really think this is the sweet spot of branding when as a compromise between lawyers and marketers, suggestive marks are entitled to exclusive rights from day one and are considered strong trademarks, unlike the descriptive marks. But the boundary line is more an art than a science. So for example, I think one of the best brands, one of my favorites is Oracle. And that's great because Oracle connotes knowledge and power, right? Which is a perfect brand for what the company Oracle actually does and their technology. Now, Greyhound, is another great example. It connotes, you know, sleek, streamlined, fast movement, you know, and it's the name of a bus line. You can also create kind of play on words and create new words. Travelocity, I think is also a clever one. So you just want to take one step removed from overtly describing what you do. Now, what you definitely want to avoid is Further down on the spectrum, on the other side of the descriptive marks, you have marks that are generic. And these are marks that can never, ever, ever be trademarked, no matter how long you've used them. Again, that line, everything on the trademark spectrum is more an art than a science. So for example, bagel thins is considered descriptive. I don't know if you know what bagel thins are, but they're, you know, bagels that are sliced thinly like they're crackers. Yeah, I've seen those. So why is it bagel thins is considered descriptive, but pretzel chips are considered generic? Exactly. So pretzel crisps are 
considered generic, and there are pretzels that are sliced thinly like crisps, another word for chips. This goes to show, again, it's more an art than a science. It really turns on the ordinary consumer perception. You always want to err. I have clients who come to me and they think they have what they think is a descriptive name and it's actually generic. So you always want to err one step kind of more distinctive and more creative than where you think you are. Got it. No, that's great advice. Thank you, Karen. And it's such an interesting area. I think we've covered a sort of a small slice of the branding topic. Definitely love to have you back next time and talk a little bit more about just this area in general. I know that I mean, we've still got so much more to cover. I mean, I know we, we talked about generic branding and I think another interesting topic is probably genericide. I think that was something that we, we sort of chatted about. And that's definitely something we want to talk about in an upcoming episode. Yeah, I would love to be back. Thank you, Karen, for your time today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 